0: engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it
1: now the end abortion podcast by priests for life well hello i'm janet marana the executive director of priests for life welcome to our program well, of course, this is a uh, National Adoption Awareness Month. And as you know, I've been trying to highlight adoption on these programs here and there, uh, just to show you that uh, how important the concept of adoption is and if more people uh, would consider that option. And also too, <clears throat> we have to change the whole stigma of, of adoption because unfortunately, when you survey women who've had abortions, So many of them say, well, you know, I was afraid to consider adoption. um, So that's why I went for, I had the abortion. And then they later regret the abortion. We have to do more to show how adoption is, as they say, such a loving option. And the other thing we want to talk about today is, you know, these circumstances of abortion being legal. And some people still cling to well, but what about the cases of rape? Okay, what about rape? And for some reason they say, well, you know, they somehow think it's okay to permit an abortion if the woman's been raped. Well, I know from the Silent and the More Awareness campaign, the women who went down that road deeply regretted that abortion. And they said, Oh, it was another trauma. I was already traumatized for being raped, and now this happened. And yet, if you survey the women who were raped and then decided to have the baby anyway and either raise the child or make an adoption plan, it was healing for them. Well, joining me today is a man who's been a wonderful witness to those children who were conceived in rape and also adoption so he's got two purposes two stories so joining me is ryan bomberger from the radiance foundation he's the co-founder of the radiance foundation so ryan welcome to the program
0: janet it is so nice to be here with you thank you so much
1: that's great and of course like you heard me say unfortunately so many people still cling to the concept of Even when they're going to craft laws, well, we have to put an exception in. We we, we have to, you know, because what if the woman is raped? And they somehow think that offering a woman who's been raped an abortion is being nice and caring and helping her. And as I told you, you heard me say, I know from the testimonies of women who deeply regret it, it didn't help them. It didn't unrape them. It was another trauma. But you have a particular testimony, don't you? So why don't you share with us your testimony?
0: Absolutely. You know, I grew up in a tiny little family of 15. I have six brothers and six sisters. Ten of us were adopted. And many of our stories or the narratives that people use, particularly pro-abortion activists, use all the time to justify abortion. And I'm definitely one of those cases. My birth mom, whom I've never met, and I pray one day I get to meet her and just Thank her and hug her and just tell her how much her courageous decision has obviously changed, changed the world uh, in in different ways. But uh, my birth mom experienced the horror and the violence of rape, and even though she was a victim of rape, she did not make me a victim of abortion. So although I was conceived in rape, I was adopted in love, and so I grew up in this adoptive family where we you know were all kinds of different hues, different backgrounds, different stories. And our parents love the mess out of us. And adoption, like this, my shirt says, adoption unleashed purpose in our lives. And so that's you know, my origin story. And it's because of my birth mom's courageous decision that I'm able to love and to be loved. And, and now today, I'm happily married to the love of my life, Bethany Bomberger, who's the other co-founder of the Radiance Foundation. And we have four amazing kiddos, two of whom were also
1: adopted. Right. And see, that's a very important point I wanted to bring out here is that abortion has a generational effect. Your mother had the courage not to cave into, I'm sure, as we know, when a woman's been raped, you have all these people surrounding her, right? Social workers in hospitals, doctors in ERs, uh, family members who are basically selling abortion to them because they think right. they're helping them and as we know it's it's not a help <clears throat> it's a hindrance actually but imagine had your mother not had the courage then not only would you not be here but then your children and and your two natural children and then the other two that you adopted wouldn't have this loving family. So I, you know, people when they make these political statements, Ryan, it makes me crazy, must make you crazy too. But what about this person? What about that person? They wouldn't be here if we caved into your political rhetoric, right?
0: Exactly. And the the sad thing is people, as you mentioned, think that the natural follow-up or the, the remedy to the violence of rape is the violence of abortion. And the only person that actually benefits is the abortionist. I mean, abortion empowers the abortionist. It doesn't empower anybody else. And so I I hear it all the time that people think, well, I I can't imagine going through that circumstance. And what I found actually surprising in all the speeches I do across the country and sometimes abroad, I meet a lot of survivors from from rape and those who chose to parent, those who are post-abortive, and of course, those who chose adoption and the common thread with these women has been, and these are incredibly strong women, uh, like my, my birth mom, I consider them my birth mom. I call her birth mom strong, but the common thread was that the child was the only redemptive part of that violence. And in, in many cases, and I hear story after story, the child rescued the woman out of that circumstance, out of that pain and out of that trauma. And so I, I hope that I, my life represents the, the tangible, reality that God enables triumph to rise from tragedy all the time.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's like I said, you know, the abortion doesn't unrape her. Right. And yet the birth of the child heals her. And, and that's a message we have to keep kind of going against our culture. Uh, yes. Because sadly, you know, some of the most pro-life people out there, you know, representatives in, in Congress, they cave into putting rape and incest into their bills because they think, we can't pass the bill unless we put it in, and what they have to see is the faces of people like you, Ryan. That well, you're saying then I shouldn't have counted. I shouldn't be here then, right. and and you know I just think we have to keep you know repeating that in nauseum till we can convert them all hundred percent, Ryan. But let's talk about adoption just a little bit more. Um, <clears throat> so you were adopted into like what was the. A big family. So where yeah. in the adoption chain were you? And tell us a little bit about how, how was that? Like how old were you when that you were adopted and kind of what was that whole dynamic like?
0: Sure. Sure. So I, I was the first adopted. My parents had three biological children first. And actually, let me go back a little bit further so people can understand what even led to these adoptions. See, my mom grew up in a broken home. She had an alcoholic father. And so she was left in a children's home for a year while her parents were separating. And that's where my mom got the heart for adoption at the age of five, by the way. So at the age of five, because she noticed that there was another little girl there who had disabilities and no one came to visit that girl. At least my mom had her mom and her dad to visit her separately, but no one came to see that girl and it broke my mom's heart. So that's where the heart for adoption began. And she met the most amazing man that I've ever known in my life, my dad, Henry Bomberger. So that's, that's where that started. So they knew before they got married that they wanted to adopt. So I was adopted at six weeks of age out of the foster care system, as were many of my siblings. And so, you know, my parents hadn't, they had no mission other than they knew that they were called to adopt. And they just want to adopt those that the world would write off that the hard to place, I guess, because I'm, I'm, I hate saying this word, biracial, because we're all one human race, but I'm mixed, black and white. You know, Some of my siblings are, are also mixed, some are black, one is white, uh, as far as uh, adopted. Native American, Vietnamese, able, disabled, I mean, just an incredible mixture. So I grew up in a family with kids with narratives that the world is always saying, well, no one should ever have to live this way. No one should ever have to face this kind of adversity. It makes me crazy because adversity actually makes us better human beings. And so growing up loved like crazy by, you know, the pro-lifers who don't care about people after they're born. Um, We are the people who care about people after they're born. But just growing up, it gives gives you such an incredible perspective on the value of life. We all have God-given purpose, whether we're planned, unplanned, able, disabled, and whatever beautiful hue of skin we have. We all have God-given purpose.
1: So now, you were the first uh, child, you're saying, that was adopted. Yes. How old were you when the next adopted child came in? And, excuse me, how, like, when did you find out that you were adopted? Tell us a little bit about that whole dynamic.
0: Yes. Well, I was the fourth into the family. So, you know, they had three biologicals, fourth. And then it was almost every year there was a new... I don't know what you want to say, new flavor added to the family. So someone new added every single year. So I would think that I would have been about just a little over a year old when the second sibling who was adopted came into the family. And so literally we all are about a year apart. So all 13 kids under the same roof for many years, but each year it was it was such an, it was an amazing thing to invite a new life into our home and a new story and different circumstances. And and I loved it. And it was, of course, you know, raising children, whether they're biological or adopted children, there there are always going to be challenges, which makes it interesting to me when I hear people say, well, you never know what you're going to get with an adopted child. You know, there are circumstances, there's brokenness. I'm like, I don't know. Do people not get the memo that raising biological children is not an easy road either? I mean, that's just the nature of parenting. But I love the fact that my parents loved all of us, whether, you know, biological or adopted. they loved it, loved us all the same. And, you know, we, we went through joys, triumphs, failures. I mean, uncertainties, lots of faith, lots of self-sacrificial love. And my parents love and dedication and their love for God changed the trajectory of our lives. Um, it was a little crazy too, by the way, growing up in a family of 15 with one and a half bathrooms at one point in our lives. Um, But we managed because we had everything that we needed. We had parents who loved us. We had a God who loved us. And I just can't imagine growing up any other way.
1: So how old were you uh, when you were told or you found out? Because people, they grapple with that. I hear this all the time. When should we tell the child they were adopted? How should we tell them? Now, in your case, there was a whole flood of adopted kids coming one after the other after (laughs) the other. But at what point? Did they sit you down? Did it happen gradually? Little hints, reading storybooks to you about adoption? Like, tell us, because people want to know, how do you deal with that question?
0: Right. I'm sorry. You (laughs) asked that question earlier. I knew I was adopted pretty much from a really early age since my parents are white and I'm not. So I thought, obviously, I noticed a difference in the color of my skin and my parents. So my mom always describes my my awareness very early, you know, at two and three years of age. But my parents always talked about adoption. So it was never something because you mentioned earlier about stigma. I can't believe in 2022, especially among Christians, that there's still some just unnecessary stigma about adoption. I mean, scripture is replete with adoption. I mean, first of all, there's no salvation without adoption. Ephesians one five. I mean, God intended us to be become part of his family through adoption. That's Ephesians one five. That was the nature of what God established for us to become um, part of the family of God. But it was it was something that was so normal and natural and conversations. I mean, obviously there's somebody different coming into the family. We talk about those differences and we love these differences. We love all these different cues of skin. And so it became a point of of celebration in ways my parents talked too about our birth parents and always honoring of our birth parents, but also talking about some of the difficult circumstances. I will tell you, it wasn't until I was 13, though, that I fully understood my origin story. And it wasn't because they didn't try to explain it earlier. I just didn't understand, apparently, what rape actually was. And so it was in a kind of tense conversation when I was 13. I was a handful. Um, And that's when I found out. And it was devastating because my whole origin story was rewritten in a moment, but because I was loved so much by my parents, that confusion and that pain was channeled towards something really constructive. In fact, I did a persuasion speech in eighth grade shortly after finding out how I came to be. And it was the first time, uh, this is public school, first time I was able to share my story and talk about abortion. And I watched the way that people responded, my teacher, my friends, and here I'm being all vulnerable and sharing my my story of being conceived in rape but adopted in love and i knew that i didn't realize to the extent but i knew that god was going to use that story in in so many ways
1: well you know, it was funny <clears throat> ryan i just interviewed someone else adoptive mother the other day and i asked her the same question like <clears throat> you know how did you tell your son and he was 5 years old cuz she was reading him adoption books and she said do you know he went to kindergarten the next day and when it came to sharing time he thought everybody was adopted so he got up and told his story and then he said to the other kids well what about you and the kids all went i'm not adopted <laughs> he went home and said to his mother what happened i thought everybody got adopted she had to sit him down and say no oh my gosh <laughs> that's that so work.
0: that's adorable <laughs> and that's and the good thing is you had this as a child you had this positive Understanding of adoption, I, I get asked by a lot of parents. You know, all the events that I speak at, and they ask me, "Well, when do I start talking about it?" And I'm thinking as soon as you can, and it's and it's an interesting balance of the two because you have biological children, adopted children, or if you have biological and adopted, they're they're equally as special, equally as valuable, and so there's this balance of not overemphasizing and. But there are ways of naturally bringing it in. My mom, for instance, is just an avid reader. She's the reason why I, I love to write. You know, while I'm, why I'm a writer, she the reason why I love just wordsmithing, and she would have us read all kinds of books. And there are great ways of being able to talk about, you know, differences. Great way of talking about how God transforms lives. And and a lot of the books that I that I read even as a young child, those are ways of understanding more of, of about adoption, more about our family. And so they're just natural, positive ways of talking about it. We should never go into it thinking that it's some sort of negative thing. I still have some adults even talking about, well, I'm sorry, like, maybe you don't want to talk about your adoption. of course I do. (laughs) Why wouldn't I want to talk about adoption? I was rescued. It was, it's such a redemptive act of love. Of course I want to talk about it.
1: That's right. Okay, so now you gave that one speech in school, but when did you get to the point where you decided, I have to work in the pro-life movement, I've got to start something, I I, I got to dive in here and do something to stop abortion? At what point did that switch flip for you?
0: Well, that was probably more in grad school. I mean, in college, I dabbled a little bit in that, but I will tell you, I went to a Christian college that never even ever addressed the issue of abortion, but I did, you know, with my story and some of the ministries that I was okay. involved in, particularly as a mentor to young people mm-hmm. like in big brothers, big sisters, but it really wasn't until grad school to where there were opportunities that opened up. In fact, I used to sing in this group, this band at the time, and we were opening up for, you know, like a CC C- C- Winans and Toby Mac and the Katina brothers and other groups like that. And so I had, really large audiences that I would be able to share my story. And I realized that I needed to do that on a more regular basis. In fact, part of what we did through that group is we worked with this incredible adoptive family that adopted seven kids all at the same time they were siblings. And we had so many opportunities I ended up going Oprah uh, good morning America. I mean, it was, it was insane, but it wasn't until I got married to my best friend, Bethany, <laughs> to where we wanted to figure out how can we address all these culture-shaping issues? How can we talk about adoption? How can we talk about abortion? And so it was us getting married and launching the Radiance Foundation back in 2009, where we fully explored how God could use us to speak into these issues and to and to talk about the beauty of adoption. And so that was, you know, 2009, here we are, going into our 14th year with our nonprofit, and celebrating the beauty of adoption.
1: So now tell, tell us more about the Radiance Foundation. I know you're available uh, as a pro-life speaker, but tell us a little bit more about the work of the Radio, Radiance Foundation and your website and everything.
0: The Radiance Foundation is a life-affirming organization, faith-based uh, organization that my wife and I began back in 2009 because we wanted to equip Christians especially, but the public in general, to engage in culture conversations about culture-shaping issues. Of course, life is the most fundamental one because without life, nothing else matters. And so we launched this to, to tackle these issues. And my wife comes from an educational background. She taught in both public and private schools for 13 years. I worked as a creative director in the ad agency world for the same amount of time. And we wanted to take the unconventional approach to things. We love the crafting messaging. And so, you know, we do these campaigns, ad campaigns, billboard campaigns. That's how we began. We write these weekly op-eds. We are now publishing books, children's books. And we want to create tools to equip people to be unafraid to engage in these conversations. I mean, the world's out there screaming a lie. And as Christians, too often we're the ones who are silent. And yet we're the ones with the truth. And so we wanted to create an organization that would come alongside people to encourage them to to distill these really complex issues down into simpler talking points. And so that's that's when we started the Radins Foundation. And we're just we're excited. In fact, one of our most, you know, we did Pro-Life Kids, which is a, a illustrated children's book. That's pro It's a great way to teach young kids an age-appropriate pro-life worldview. We shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't fear talking about what it means to value every human life. And so one of the things we're going to be focusing on, particularly in this coming year, is publishing more children's books to break through a lot of the cultural noise and equip these children to have a biblical worldview on human dignity and human value.
1: And of course, <clears throat> I want everyone to know that it's the radiancefoundation.org is your website. I know you have, besides the, the children's books, you do have uh, great t-shirts. Um, I love the your postcard messaging and, and your phrases and designs. Just tell us about some of those phrases. I mean, the phrases are so clever that uh, you and your wife have come up with. Tell us about some of those phrases. <laughs>
0: We do love creating, whether they're memes or infographics. We love creating these things that actually just kind of. Well, God is a revelational God, right? And so, as a designer, our part of my worship to God is is creating this content. And I, I consider them divine downloads, anyway. But you know, some of the best things in life are unplanned. They're one of the things we say, or when we talk about. You know, in our culture about loving every, everybody, everyone's like, well, you don't love somebody if you don't accept everything of who they are. Well, that's not true. So one of our sayings is loving every human being isn't the same as loving every human doing. There are so many ways that we, we talk about these things. For instance, I'm the 1% that is used 100% of the time to justify abortion. And when I say that, I mean, especially in college campuses, they understand, yeah, I, I'm the part, I'm the story that's always exploited to justify abortion. So we try to take these big things and say, all right, here's a line. Now now think about, you know, this issue now in this context. And so we create these, these sidewall counseling cards. We have these stickers and, I mean, all kinds of memes. In fact, you know, actually the easiest way to get to our website is Radiance. Dot life it's a little shorter <laughs> radiance. Dot life and we love creating this content. We want to continue to create content that's fearless, that's factual and that's freeing. but we really want to kind of move people because sometimes you can hear something a hundred times a thousand times or whatever, but someone says it a little differently and that's what we want. where our prayer is that God uses us to just give people this revelational moment like wow, I never thought of it that way before.
1: Um, Tell us a little bit more about the messaging than, like you just said, for children, these children books ideas, because um, right now I don't know about you, but I am so, you know, I have grandchildren now, believe it or not. Uh, And um, it infuriates me that all this stuff they're shoving down uh, children in school's throats with uh, what's your pronoun, the transgender stuff. And then letting these young children change sexes and all this stuff. Uh, the books that they're allowing in public school libraries are just pornographic to the point. Mm-hmm. Um, so how are your books going to like, because I'm sure parents hear this are going to go, "What? where are your books, you know, Ryan, where can we get them? What can we do? Because I think everybody, there, there is a, a definite sentiment, I think, In our country right now, where people have said and Christians are beginning to stand up and and get some courage and say, enough is enough. Mm -hmm. But tell us about like your books, like because I think they're going to want to get them to help save the situation in their hometown
0: exactly. And in fact, I live in Loudoun County, Virginia. This is like ground zero for school boards going wild. We're dealing with all these crazy policies like policy 8040 where they, you know, can take your child and have them, you know, change their gender at school but they can't tell the parents. I mean, it's so insane. They have these pornographic books that celebrate pedophilia. I mean, it is crazy. And so of course, I mean, the the left, the political left is constantly targeting young young children all the time. And what frustrates me to no end is that so many times conservative and or Christian parents, sometimes are not one in the same, but they, they're they reluctant to engage on these issues. Like, Why are you waiting? The world's out there addressing this nonsense with pre-K children. And we're like, oh, I'm going to wait until they're older. We cannot wait. You know, we have to teach our children before a broken world reaches them. And so, you know, our pro-life kids book is our first endeavor And in children's book, and this is my wife's passion, children's lit. She was a teacher in both elementary, uh, middle school, public and private school. And so her her heart is children's literature, children's storybooks. We also have a new one coming out, Janet, that actually deals with gender identity. The book is called She Is She. And it is, in fact, we, we describe it this way. It's a book all about undeniable, biological, beautiful her. I can't even believe that we're even having conversations about what a woman is, or you're not even using the word woman. I mean, calling women pregnant people and birthing people and menstruating people. I mean, what what is going on? So we cut through this nonsense. Our new book is coming out. Um, we're hoping to actually have it out before Christmas, but um, it's she is she, and they can go to you know she is she.com or just go back to our main website, radiance.life. But we've gotta we've gotta counter this nonsense, this pollution and this what I consider child abuse. The whole transgenderism movement is child abuse. And I thank God here in Loudoun County that informed and involved parents have said enough is enough and we're fighting back.
1: Well, I'll tell you, Ryan, I have three granddaughters. So, you know, I want three copies of She is She ASAP.
0: <laughs> you got it. You got it.
1: <laughs> you know, and, and it does create confusion because even my grandson um, came home from school the other day and he says to my daughter, you know, mom, uh um that, that girl in my class, uh, I forget her name even. And my dad said, yeah. Well, now she wants to be called, and she, you know, he named the boy's name. And, and I, so I was there in the room, too. I said, well, Lucas, how does that make you feel? And he said, well, she's, you know, he, he's still she. And when I'm in school, if I have to say that other name, I'll say it. But then when I'm not there, I'll, I'll just call her just what she is. She's a girl. She's not a boy. So he got it, but it was like, oh, my goodness. You know, so you can see this is creating a lot of confusion, you know, in children. So that's fabulous that you and your lovely Mm -hmm. wife are really taking this head on. So, Ryan, I want to thank you for being with me today. And, brothers and sisters, it's radiance.life. Go there and get these life-affirming messages and books and stickers Mm -hmm. and T-shirts. So thank you, Ryan, for your witness. God bless you.
0: God bless, Janet.
1: Well, brothers and sisters, I hope you found this program interesting and informative. And remember, adoption is the loving option and that every abortion affects somebody. It affects the baby always, the mother, the father. And so get. therefore, brothers and sisters, there are some abortions only you will be able to stop. And some lives only you will be able to save. Join us again next time. Thank you and God bless.